Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, Andy Isco, and Jim Feist. And we're all set to go against the spread on this week's NFL and college football cards. And, Victor, if you can believe it, we're into the second half of the college football season, and the NFL is approaching November. Uh, you know, Mark, not just that, but we're getting into that overlap time of the year where we got multiple major sports. Uh, I'm talking about the fact that the NBA season started on Tuesday night with two games out on the West Coast. The fact that we're in the final round of the Major League Baseball postseason with an unlikely two teams in the World Series. Yeah, As you just mentioned, we're in game eight or nine now in college football already. The NFL is almost halfway through. It is a very, very busy time in the sports betting world. Jim Feist, I know it's busy for you. Uh, I know you've been hopping around Vegas a lot. NFL football, your specialty. Uh, are you doing anything with the NBA basketball season as it starts, or are you focusing primarily on football? Well, I'm actually focusing on baseball and football uh, because I, I, I do uh, baseball a lot. I'm kind of surprised at the two teams that are in there. And I, I wanted to ask, throw it open, is, you know, I look at these two teams as pre being almost like a toss-up you know, who, who would win. They, they're both not expected to be there, and they're both playing very well. And uh, I don't see an edge to either team. I mean, you might say the home the home team, but I don't know that the home teams matter in anything anymore. But the price is, you know, it's 175. Once it, it doesn't see, it seems too expensive. Well, it sounds like they're priced because they have the home field advantage, as you said. But as you know, Jim, Texas has not had a home field advantage. It's been all road team. Uh, as far as they're concerned in the postseason this year. So I agree with you. I think it's kind of like wide open. Andy, what do you think Major League Baseball playoffs? Well, I, I was very impressed with the Arizona bullpen and the pitching staff as a whole, but certainly the bullpen throughout the entire uh, playoffs. I mean, it's going in and sweeping Milwaukee on the road, sweeping the Dodgers, including two games at uh, Dodger Stadium. Now, they only won 84 games, but that uh, that's a very strong wild card team. Now, Houston and Texas both uh, had 90 wins. It was a down year for Houston, and that may be part of the reason why Texas was able to uh, uh, to get in there. Uh, of course, they had a chance to win the division on the, at the end of the season. Um Arizona, I've, I've liked the nucleus of this Arizona team, but I'll tell you what, they got some big bats in uh, in Texas. And I think we saw in the National League Series, and maybe to a certain extent in the American League Series, although I think the offenses of Houston and Texas were not that dissimilar, but we saw in the National League, you, know, you can shut down, good pitching can shut down a lineup like the Phillies. Uh, and Arizona did that uh, several times throughout the series. Uh, um, I certainly think at the price, Arizona is worth a shot. You know, I, I've always looked when I approach these series, especially the two, three twos, I always look for the road team in this case, Arizona 
to split, win one of the first two games, not necessarily regain home field advantage, but go home knowing that if they take two out of three, they have a chance to eliminate uh, Texas in the in, in game six, if they happen to do better than that, even so. But you're probably going to get a nice underdog prize on Arizona in the first two games, and I'll probably end up playing Arizona in the first two games, and hopefully they can split, and hopefully with that split, the win is in game one. Well, for the longest time, that was one of my main handicapping theories when the NBA playoffs were here, best of seven series, was looking for the uh, team that split the first two games for that team that was at home to get that loss back uh, before they returned home. And, and it always was a pretty good handicapping strategy. Much the same, I guess, applies to baseball. Victor, how are you approaching the playoffs from an over-under standpoint or from a side standpoint? Well, Mark, I always uh, follow those home plate umpires when it comes to oh, Major yeah. League Baseball. So they have some uh, tendencies uh, in terms of year-to-date results that you can't beat. Obviously, we lean under slightly more in the postseason than we do overs. But uh, that's it in terms of baseball. If I can uh, circle back to college football, we do got to point out, Mark, that it was a very, very good week last week for underdogs uh, in college football. And uh, while it isn't what I would consider to be a great schedule this week, I think there's only – two games in which both teams are ranked in the top 25 in college football, uh, Oregon, Utah, and of course, Duke versus Louisville. Uh, with that said, we've picked a good one for our college football game of the week. But again, uh, underdogs, 33-22-1 and one ATS last week, 60%, very, very strong. And in fact, road underdogs went 26-8 and eight ATS last week. An outstanding 76% for road underdogs. And I went into the database, Mark, and um, here, this is something, if you if you like betting only this season's results, here's a very, very powerful uh, underdog situation that's gone 28 and 10 against the spread this year. What you want to do is play on double-digit road dogs. That's road dogs of 10 or more points who are coming in off a straight up and ATS loss. These teams have gone 28 and 10 ATS on the season. Guess what? There are 10 of them this week in college football. So take a look at some of those double digit dogs this week. I, I wow. I would think the theory behind that might be because they lost straight up into the spread. Nobody wants a piece of them. Right. They're taking 10 or more points. They're sort of looking kind of ugly in that clothing, I guess. Right. A little stinky. Yeah. Yeah, but don't tell them that. Uh, that's that's a pretty strong <laughs> little angle, uh, Jim. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, I'm always surprised at, at, at some of these trends, how they come up, and and you hope to ride them. You hope you get on them and ride them. If you know, if you got to look at it. How can you ignore it? You're 28 and 10. I mean, you have to you have to say, hey, that's that's a significant number of games. You got to seriously look at getting at least a little coin on those games. Maybe not big bets, but if there's ten of them, maybe that's that's ten bets, and you throw if you're a five hundred dollar bet, maybe you put a hundred, hundred fifty on each one, you know, just to take a piece of it. I think one of the teams that applies to this week, Victor, is Southern Mississippi. Are they one of them? Oh boy, they are. Uh, I'll tell you what. I tell you why I might like the other side. That's I a dog with fleas. I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> I was going to say, what was that? That's a dog with fleas. So dog with fleas. This is a statistic I fa- I had to check like three times. Now this is the I keep my own stats, and I mentioned in the past I keep stats 
against only FBS teams. I throw out the, I mean, I keep both, you know, full season, but I throw them out. Southern Miss, again, I had to check this out, is allowing an incredible, uh, where is it here? 17.1 yards per pass completion. No. Now, you can see teams like that who that, that, don't get like I've I've seen like Air Force average like twenty three point six yards per pass completion offensively because they throw three passes a game and they complete one right. for fifty yards. There you go. But Southern Miss has thrown a decent number of uh, had a decent number of passes thrown against them. That is just an amazing number. And uh, Appalachian State, I think they're coming off of an upset loss and they're laying a big number. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to play Appalachian State. It may in some form, but I mean that that. I don't know if that's a record this deep into a season for a team that throws, say, the more than 15 passes a game. It sounds like a lock that no player from that secondary at Southern Mississippi's name will be heard in the National Football League draft. <laughs> <up here>. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty mean Nor stat. Nor will the defensive coordinator be up for a defensive coordinator <laughs> position in the NFL. Yeah, when I was charting their stats, I mean, you know, I do everything when they lose, it's in red ink. When they win, it's in black ink. And their, their pages are filled with nothing but red ink. And uh, it gets deeper shades of red every game they play. I don't know what's happened to that program. They were really a pretty good football team going back even five years ago. They were really a consistent underdog. Who I don't believe both. Brett Favre has any more eligibility, however. You think he's gone? Oh, okay. That could be the, that could be the point. No Brett Favre. <laughs> uh, even at his advanced age. Of course, we're talking defense versus offense, but uh... – <laughs> Hey, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I'm visiting with Jim Feist, Andy Isco, and Victor King, and we're talking a little bit about what happened on the football card last week. Guys, let's move the clock forward and look at this week, what's coming up in the world of college football. And, Victor, you mentioned we're going to feature our college football game of the week today. There's only, like you mentioned, two games involving two, a pair of nationally ranked teams. Our game is not one of those. But our game is a game that I think is maybe going to get the most eyeballs watching the game this football, this week of football, college football. And that's when Florida takes on Georgia uh, in a big football game for obviously both teams. Georgia looking to stay alive. They own the nation's longest win streak dating back to last year. Uh, that's, you know, obviously because they're two-time defending national champion. But uh, what do you guys think about the, what the, what used to be called the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? I guess we have to be politically correct and not say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. How are you looking at this game, Andy? You know, Georgia sort of struggled in the early part of the season, whether they were saving things up. Because remember, you know, you back-to-back national championships, you're playing a lot of games in the course of uh, two back-to-back seasons. You're playing 31, 32 games or something. That might even take a toll, even though there's so much time off uh, between seasons. Florida has been disappointing this year to me uh, as far as what was expected of them. Not that they were expected to contend in the SEC East. Uh, and Georgia has really come on, and you take a look at these numbers. Now, it is a neutral site, so the fans should be evenly divided between uh, Georgia and Florida. So uh, I've, I've got to take a look, uh, at take some of those intangibles out of it. The number almost seems somewhat short because we can see Georgia at its best. We saw what they did to, I believe they were unbeaten Kentucky a few weeks ago, and they sent the message that we're still kings of the SECs, and what was it, 51 to 13, that they put them away. That's the kind of effort that we can expect out of Georgia when they play their best. Now, even though Florida is not nearly as good a team even as Kentucky is this year, it's still a big rivalry game. So if Georgia is able to put – if Georgia is able to play to their numbers, um, 
it's hard not to like Georgia at the uh, uh, at the neutral site. So not sure I'm going to play the game. Normally, I would look first in this type of game to uh, Florida, but Georgia, uh, just too much talent. Victor, what do you see from an over-under standpoint in this football game here? These are two football teams, obviously, that know each other well. A big-time long rivalry, if you will, in the football game. How do you think they're going to square out going over and under in this game? Well, the line, the over-under line, it uh, opened at 48 and a half. Uh, it's come down the last time we looked. It was right around 47 points. Uh, I'll say this here. Um, on the season, Georgia 4-3 and over-under. Uh, Florida 3-3-1 three, three and over-under. So not much to glean then from a year-to-date perspective. Uh, but with that said... Uh, let's take a look at the recent play. Georgia's first three games this season all went under the total. Each of their last four games have gone over the total and by an average margin of plus 9.1 points per game. Three out of four of their conference games have indeed gone over. That would be the uh, Bulldogs. Uh, very similar numbers for the Gators, who started the season – in their first five games, going zero overs, four unders, and a tie, the Florida Gators. But with that said, showing some signs of life on offense as of late, each of their last three games have gone over the total, the Florida Gators, with an average of 59.6 points per game. And like their counterparts, three out of four of Florida conference games have indeed gone over the total of the game. And uh, that's the way I'm leaning. You know, um. Obviously, there's a very significant injury in the game. We're talking about all-world stud tight end Brock Bowers of the uh, Georgia Bulldogs, a guy who will be playing in the NFL someday. That is for sure. Um, but one thing we've noticed is that when Brock Bowers does not play for the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, they usually throw more of the deep balls out there. Um, so combine that with the fact that you got Florida – who's ranked number 111 this season in defending pass explosiveness. And I do see Georgia taking more downfield shots this particular week. You know, a Florida in the very, very rare role as a two-touchdown underdog in the last 10 years, the Gators have actually gone 7-1 and one to the over in these games. And, of course, based on the point spread and the over-under line, the implied score – is somewhere around Georgia 31, Florida 16. Uh, I think that's too few points for Georgia in this series versus Florida. They've averaged 37.0 points per game in the last five. And our database number is we've got this game ending somewhere in the area of, oh, geez, 34 to 20, 34 to 23, all the way up to maybe 38 to 24, somewhere in that neighborhood of about 56 to 60 points, giving us, I think, some decent value on that cocktail party going over the total. Good analysis by Victor King as far as the over-under total goes in that cocktail party game. And, Jim, is this a type of a game that appeals enough to you to draw you off of your NFL couch? I know you're a big NFL football player. <laughs> <laughs> to get into a game like this? Well, I, I do play I do play college ball, you know, and uh, I, well, 
you know, the analysis that Victor, you, you can't question that. That's excellent. Um, the question I have is, why is so much money come in on the under? Now, have we looked at the weather uh, down there in Florida? What's going on? You know, we always have this weather every every week. There's something going on. No rain. And in Jacksonville, we're talking winds in the area of, oh, about 9 to 15 miles per hour. That's nothing. No. No? No weather. I mean, I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to go with uh, Victor's analysis that that's where, that, you know, he, you can't break it down any better than that. You know, when I look at big rivalries like this, guys, you know, the first thing I'm looking for is obviously the avenging team, his record. Does he have a chance to get a taste of that revenge back in a situation like this? So you know that if George is involved, the other team has revenge. It's been that way a lot the, last, the past few years here. But the thing that jumped out at me is the fact that Kirby Smart, for all the success that he's met with the Georgia uh, when he's been favored by 23 or more points, he's only 10 and 17 against the spread, which probably means more than anything else that he plays down to the level of opposition in those types of games. So the question here would be, would he be playing down to Florida's level? I don't really particularly think so because this is a rivalry as it is. But, you know, the fact of the matter is you won't find me laying uh, double digits uh, like this in a rivalry game at all. And you mentioned uh, – Florida here coming in this football game here. They're a pretty good football team when they've got rest. They're 15 and eight straight up and against the spread seven and one when they're coming off back-to-back wins here. Like I would say always in a rivalry game, give me the points. Andy, you think I'm on the right side of that game? Well, again, I, I just so impressed with the way Georgia has brought itself along uh, this season. You know, both teams uh, are coming off buys. Uh, I also look at the rushing game, even though it's not as important as it used to be, it's still a significant. And I look for situations where you've got a team that averages a yard or more on the ground than they allow playing against a team that is the reverse, that allows a yard per game per rush rather more. And that's what uh, this team does. Georgia rushes five yards per carry, allows 3.3. Florida Averages 3.6, allows 4.7. Now, what that does is if Georgia gets the lead, number one, being able to run to protect the clock, control the clock by running the ball late in the game to protect leads, wear down the other offensive, rather the other team's defensive line, which often opens it up for some easy pass plays when they're expecting you to continue to run and run. So um, I probably won't play this game because there are other games I think that are a little bit more handicappable, mainly because of the rivalry aspect of this game. Florida uh, was successful for me, I think, earlier in the year in one such game. Uh, so they have the capability to do it. But when I look at the talent and when I look, you know, again, Georgia, they're unbeaten and there's no assurance, even though most likely an unbeaten Georgia SEC team would get in there. But there's competition with several other unbeaten teams from the five major conferences this year. You got Washington in the Pac-12. You got Florida State in the ACC. You got now Michigan and Ohio State in the Big Ten. You got Oklahoma uh, in the uh, uh, in the Big 12. And you've got uh, uh, Georgia in the SEC. So even though you can pretty much expect that the SEC would get an unbeaten team in there. It's almost a certainty. Coach can sell the, uh, the uh, program that, hey, there's a lot of competition out there. We need to be at our best every week, and what better thing to do than be your best against your bitter rival? Hey, Andy, as you mentioned, those teams that are undefeated and playing, obviously, to try to make it into the college football playoff, here's a wild scenario. What would happen if uh, we didn't have any of these major FBS teams undefeated and the only one left standing was James Madison? 
<laughs> or Air Force and or Air Force, those two. Well, and or Air Force, correct? Yes. Right. Or Liberty. How how nice would that be? Now, first of all, would James Madison even be eligible? They're not even eligible for their conference uh, championship game. Would they be eligible for this, James Madison? I would assume I, so. I would think – I'm not quite sure what the rules are. I think each conference does it separately, and I think that you can be not eligible for your conference championship but eligible to be selected in the college football yep. playoff. I mean, I know that there's some time uh, like a probation period, if you will, when you move up from FCS uh, to FPS. So I'm not quite sure what would happen. Uh Unfortunately for that scenario, I think we're going to have uh, three, possibly four unbeaten teams at the end of the year. Well, I know, well, I know we can't have five uh, or six, rather, because you do have Ohio State and Michigan still to play. Well, apparently uh, James Madison is not eligible for a bowl game. For a bowl game even, huh? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, well, well they that would take him out of the playoffs. Double handcuffed. Wow. <clears throat> But credit is still due to that team for the fact that here they are one year removed from graduating, if you will, from FCS to FBS, and they're now, they're now a top 25 ranked team. Well, they got and, off to that quick start last year. I think they were, what, 5-0? Right. Yep, sure did. Andy, had a yep. little bit of a slump and then picked it up again at the end of the year. I, I followed. They've, they've been a, they have been a, a solid uh, F. Uh, I keep confused. I still use one FBS. A and one double A. Yeah, they were a solid uh, FCS team for a number of years before making the move. Much like Georgia Southern was, much like Troy State was mm -hmm. before they made the moves. Or uh, Jacksonville State this year, uh, yep. who's had a good good first season in FBS. I hope they continue that good season tonight. Well, the question for James Madison becomes: Do they repeat what they did last year? They got out to that, like you mentioned, that great five and zero start. Then they mm -hmm. laid a few eggs. Right. Now they're out to this uh, six and zero start, I believe, and you know, will they be doing the same here? I don't think so, but uh, the truth is, I think they got a pretty tough, pretty tough customer on tap this I, week. I, I do like Old Dominion plus all those points. Old Dominion, the Monarchs are. Yeah. <laughs> why not? I mean, they're really they're a good like football. nineteen, nineteen and a half. Yeah, they're a real good surprise football team this football season here. I didn't mention this guy before he we went into this segment. I want to mention it now, if I may, that. Our college football game of the week is being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where you can get up to a 200% sign-up bonus. They offer free same-day payouts, all available at uwager.lv. Give them a call toll-free to take advantage of that 200% sign-up bonus. Call them now at 1-800-U-WAGER. See, Mark, you, you ought to try to get the WHO to sponsor a segment like that so you could play You Better You Bet. Well, there we go. I like that. I, I didn't think about that. We'll have to, we'll have to look deep into that, Andy. <laughs> okay, guys, let's move it over to the NFL side of things if we can uh, right now. And uh, just to keep our producer in line, because I screwed that up about the UAG thing, I'm going to replug UAG with a different offer that they've got for all of our listeners out there. They're offering Friday night 105 juice. You can play every Friday 105 minus 105 and every play that you make over the weekend at uwager.lv. Log on at uwager.lv, tell them you want that minus 105 juice, or call them at 1-800-U-WAGER. Let's take a look at our NFL football game of the week, and I think this is a beauty, and I couldn't believe why this wasn't the Sunday night football game, even from the get-go. Uh, but, you know, there's some things going on in the game which we're gonna talk about here, but uh, when Cincinnati takes on San Francisco, no, my goodness, guys, this game has the look, smell, and feel, and taste of a Super Bowl matchup. It uh, could be. Yeah. yeah. You know, by, the, by the way, Mark, I think possibly the reason is I believe Fox and CBS 
get to pick a couple of selected games each year okay. in the, during the season that they want to promote as their prime, you know, major game of the week. This, I'm sure, had to be one of those games that one of those other networks said, we want to take this one and not have it on Sunday night. Well, that's a real good point, a valid point, because it would have to go on NBC TV to appear on Sunday Night Football, yeah. and uh, that would be a whole network change and everything else that goes on with that. But uh, I think this is going to be one heck of a football game, guys. you got uh, – a football team that was purported two weeks ago, be the best team in all of the national football league. And suddenly they took to the road, San Francisco did, and they tasted defeat. Uh, and they went back home and they tasted defeat again. Uh, what do you see, Victor? How do you think this game is going to shake out? I know we've got a quarterback situation uh, that's pending in this football game here. And I, how will it play with the Brock Purdy concussion protocol thing into the over under total? Right. You know, Andy and I were talking before the show and just in the few minutes that it took us to prepare for the show today, the point spread and the over underline have both moved in a significant fashion with the news that Brock Purdy, the San Francisco quarterback, is now questionable for this game. Uh, At one point, I think the Niners were as as much as a five and a half, maybe even a six point favorite. And it's uh, the Niners already come down to about three and a half in just a short time that we have recorded the podcast. And the over underline has kind of done the same thing as well. Opening at forty five and a half. I got my action in on the under at forty five point zero. And it's come down to the number right now of, again, forty three and a half. So this is all line movement based on questionable status of Brock Purdy. Now, of course, these two teams, they don't play each other a lot. They're two teams from separate conferences. But four out of the last five in the series have gone under the total between Cincinnati and San Francisco. And uh, we've got some uh, uh, interesting tidbits in terms of the totals. you got a team coming in off their bye. you got another team who will be on bye next week in the host 49ers. Um, one thing I noted in this week's totals tip sheet newsletter is the fact that already this season in the NFL, NFL teams before their bye week have gone one and 11 over under only one over 11 unders on Sundays at Sunday specifically. And there are three NFL teams this week playing on Sunday who will be off next week. Those three teams are the San Francisco 49ers the Jacksonville Jaguars, and also the Denver Broncos. So if you're into an in-season hot under pattern, there you have it right there. In terms of Cincinnati coming in off their bye, we know this has gone 90% under since 2017, and that's non-division road dogs coming in off their bye week if they scored 17 or less in their previous game. And, in fact, Cincinnati did just that, that – Game prior to their bye, if you remember, they beat the Seattle Seahawks 17-13 to 13, uh, at home in a game in which they were actually outstanding and were uh, fortuitous to even come away with a win in that particular game. Uh, one more thing to clinch the deal for me, guys, is the fact that uh, I always like running a comparison of the two divisions involved in an NFL game. So you got an NFC West team and you got an AFC North uh, team. NFC West division favorites versus any AFC North division opponent, four and 22 over under in the last 20 years, one and 13 in the last eight years. That applies to this game. 
even with the line down at 43 and a half now, we're still going low with the Bengals and the uh, 49ers. Obviously, we talked about it last week. The Niners are notorious for when they're clicking on offense, they can take up to eight, nine, ten minutes on just one drive. And I could see that happening against a Cincinnati team that has a very, very poor rush defense. They're one of only four NFL teams this season that's allowing more than five yards per carry on offense. Good analysis once again. Victor King for the over-under total in the football game. Like a playoff matchup of two good teams under the total as Victor's side in the contest. Jim, I got a real unique scenario or situation in the game I want to ask you about. And I think if you ask everybody uh, that follows the National Football League what they would think of a situation where a team comes in off a Monday night game and they're playing a team that has the benefit of an extra week of rest, you would most normally think that the rested team against the team coming off the short week would benefit that way. But I'm going to break this down. I'm going to ask you why you think this is. Those teams in that role that Cincinnati would happen to be in this week are 14, 42, and 2 straight up and 23, 33, and 2 to the spread. When they have rest and the guy they're playing is coming off a Monday football game. So has it been a knee-jerk reaction basically to back this guy who – purports to have all this extra rest and all these advantages working toward him? Or why do you think those numbers are what they are? It sounds like the old scenario we used always talked about rust and uh, rust and uh, rust and versus rest. Yes. It's that, you know, in this case, I mean, San Francisco not only has Purdy uh, as an issue, but Debo Samuel's been hurt. Trent Williams, which is obviously he might be the best offensive lineman in the league. And then you have C.J. McCaffrey, who did play last week. He came back off an injury. Um, so they've been the last three weeks, and I think that both their losses were on the road the last right. two weeks. So now they're coming home, and it is a short week. I don't know if you could consider them, you know, really in prime condition right now with all these injuries, and especially, I mean, the backup quarterback, Sam Darnold. Yep. Okay, so, I mean, he's got a lot of experience. He can have really good days and really bad ones. Depends on if he's seen ghosts or not. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't, you know, the significant line move. You've got, you got one of the best teams in football, a three-point favorite at home. Uh, we don't know what Cincinnati is because they really haven't played well this year. So, if we look at what they've done the last few years, it's different than what they've done this year. And um, that's this is a tough game for me to say I want to step out, you know, and, and bet make bet anything on this game. Well, especially now with the with the Purdy situation being what it is, and who would have envisioned Mister Irrelevant being worth three or four points against the point spread? Uh, but he is Brock Purdy because he's established himself as a legitimate bonafide National Football League quarterback. So we're going to see how that all shakes out. I happen to think, Andy, that uh, the loss of Debo Samuel plays as much into San Francisco's losing streak as anything does. Because with him and um, uh, C-Mac together here, they were a potent one-two punch offensively, and they just haven't been the same since he's been out. How do you see the loss of Samuel? And have you heard any word of will Samuel be back this week? 
Uh, he was initially expected to be out for two weeks, and this would be week number two. I do want to refer to uh, Jim's line about Sam Darnold and seeing ghosts, how appropriate for a game that's going to be played two days before Halloween. Uh, well, I, I tend to agree with, with Victor's analysis of the under in this game when you think about the fact that San Francisco is going to be without their starting quarterback and without arguably one of the best receivers and runners in football in Samuel, which you would think would tend to depress scoring. Now, as it is, San Francisco, uh, you know, both of these teams, uh, San Francisco's total games this year average 40, what is it, 44 point five. Cincinnati's games average uh, 39.9. So already both of these teams are averaged slightly under the what it was 45, now 43 and a half, which is close to what the game's average. So you'd have to think that San Francisco will be adversely affected offensively because of the absence. We saw that last week, uh, last Monday night against Minnesota. And at the same time, San Francisco's defense is pretty healthy. You have to figure that they will be called upon to contain and have success containing the Cincinnati offense. I have to approach this game with Cincinnati fearing that with the bye, Joe Burrows is going to be as healthy as he has been all season. I don't know the situation with uh, uh, with T. Higgins, of course, uh, Jamar uh, Chase will be uh, his normal self, but I think Philadelphia, uh, San Francisco will have success. So I would tend to um, pl play the under before I would play a side. But you know, at minus three, you know, when was even with the injuries, when would you think with a team as talented and as deep as San Francisco's would be looking to avoid a third straight loss, albeit the first two on the road? I have to think that Shanahan is sharp enough to be able to play to the strengths of the players that he has available. I'd be more inclined to lay the short number. I wouldn't want to lay above three, and threes are available now as we speak after this injury news on uh, 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 Purdy going through the concussion, concussion protocol. But I still think with or without Purdy, with or without some of these other players, but with the absence of, uh, uh, of Samuel, I'd have to look under the total first. I'd, I'd I'd be worried about Trent Williams as, as in addition to the offensive yeah. players because he is you know what when your offensive line is hurt the quarterbacks are not going to do as well especially with a new, with a new quarterback in correct. Behind him. correct I remember Miles Garrett made the comment after Cleveland played San Francisco that Trent Williams was a bona fide Hall of Fame tackle maybe the best he's ever gone up against so he does mean that much to that San Francisco offensive line there's no question about that. Uh, one quick note here, guys, uh, uh, in the newsletter this week, we called it probably the toughest game to handicap on the card this week. And it's largely because you can make pretty good cases for both sides. Joe Burrow being back for Cincinnati, uh, him being an excellent underdog, uh, the Bengals 9-1 and one of the spread the last 10 as a road dog. But you've got on the other side how unbelievably successful San Francisco has been in the role of a home favorite, they're 15 and one straight up. And I should say 16 and no straight up 15 and one to the spread. But on 16 games as a home favorite, they just been knocking it out of the park. We leaned ever so slightly to San Francisco in our newsletter. And part of the reason, uh, the reason that we got to that side is basically because uh, what you have here is in the mat is the matchup of a top 10 ranked team in the offense and a top 10 ranked team in defense. There are only three teams in the NFL going into this weekend that rank in the top 10, both offensively and defensively, San Francisco being one of them, the other two being Kansas City and Philadelphia. So what does that say? That speaks for what offense and defense means in the NFL. The three best teams in the NFL are the only three teams in the league that rank 
in the top 10 offensively and defensively. Again, I think it's a real tough call. We're going to have to wait till this number settles in to see whether or not Purdy even plays. It's a lot of speculation at this point. And we won't know because the doctor, only the doctor knows. The doctor will be the person that will decide whether or not he can play in the football game. So, nonetheless, it'll be a must-watch TV football game whether or not he plays the football contest. But, again, I think it's a real, real tough call in this game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, we're going to do what we do every week here. Jim Feist overviews the National Football League last week and what happened on that. And if you would, Greg, take it and roll it with Jim's video take on the National Football League and his overview from last week. Good morning, everybody. Let's take a look at the very big card that we have coming up this weekend. Pretty interesting games. You got the Philadelphia Eagles at the uh, Washington Commanders. This is a division game, so that's always important. Uh, we're looking at Philadelphia in this game, a six and a half point favorite. The Commanders, uh, pretty much a dump, dumpster fire. The head coach is not doing a very good job. He's not protecting the quarterback. Um, Sam Howell is set, going to set a record for almost a hundred sacks if the pace continues. I don't know what you say about Rivera. Maybe it's time for him to step aside. Pretty, pretty bad job for him so far. So far. Um, the Saints, another dumpster fire. Move up and down the field. Cars dink and dunk all over the place. The Colts with Minshew. Um, they moved the ball last week. I mean, you get the. Cleveland Browns, everybody says it's the best defense in football, and then they give up, what, 30, what, 38 points against Minshew and the Colts. Uh, pretty incredible uh, change of pace there uh, for the Cleveland Browns. The Colts, uh, they can move the ball like that. We're looking at, um, we're not looking at too much here. We got one and a half point Colts home favorite. I lean to the Colts there. I just, uh, I just, I just don't see them. Uh, the Saints. I mean, they they have to do something other than this, this uh, dink, dink and dunk if they're going to win some football games. The Jaguars at the Steelers. Jaguars are three in this spot. Tough spot here. This is a non-division game for them. The trip to to England. They were over there for two weeks. They come home. They play good. Now they're on the road. The Steelers are playing pretty well. I know the Rams made them look a little better than they are, but. Steelers are always tough, and Tomlin is tough. We all know that. The Jets, a three-point favorite to the Giants, which really not a real big home game here. You know that these are both New York teams. Um, Houston, a three-point favorite at Carolina. There's a big change in Carolina. you got a different play caller. Um, this could make a big difference. The play caller now... For the Panthers is going to this team's going to look totally different than they have so far. So I don't, really don't know what to expect, but I don't trust that the Texans are a three-point road favorite. Do you? Now you look at the Patriots that's come off the big win against Buffalo. They're a nine and a half point underdog at Miami, who just lost on Sunday Night Football to the Eagles. Tough game. They had some injuries in that game. Patriots played well, and uh, Mac Jones looked decent in that game as well. Uh, given nine and a half points to the Patriots in this spot, second meeting of the year. I'm not too sure about that. I know the, the Miami is very explosive. Uh, 
But at some point, these teams catch up. Defenses make adjustments. We got uh, next game, we get the Atlanta Falcons and the Titans. Atlanta is a lot better than they've been playing. They should have won that game easily last week. Um, Titans are going to, I think, they can go into dumpster fire uh, mode. They could actually end up being tanking for somebody. I'm not sure who's going to play quarterback for them. They got three quarterbacks. I don't think any of them you're going to jump out of your seat for. But uh, Falcons are a better football team, but I'm not trusting them on the road as a favorite. The Vikings coming off the big win against San Francisco. Sanford, the Niners are not the same team as they were three weeks ago. Uh, they got some injuries. They're not quite in sync, and this is what happens in the NFL. There's peaks and valleys. You peak, you go valley, you peak again. You hope you peak again at the playoffs. That's the, that's the whole goal. Um, in this spot, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one, man. It, Minnesota coming off that big win, but the Green Bay Packers, Jordan Love just can't play football. He is just not. I don't know what they were thinking when they drafted him. They totally pissed off Aaron Rodgers at the time when they did that. And the kid doesn't look like he can do it. He really doesn't. And then we talked to uh, the Rams. Uh, they're going on the road to Dallas. Uh, Dallas, six and a half point favorite. The Rams <clears throat> mortgaged their future to win that Super Bowl a couple years ago, and uh, they're paying the price for it. They have some weapons, and we all know that. Stafford and those wide receivers are great. Aaron Donald, of course, awesome. But um, they are and were not projected to have a great year, and they're not having a great year. But I think they're going to slack off even more. Uh, than we've been seeing. Cleveland on the road to Seattle. Who the hell knows what go is going on with Deshaun Watson? You paid him all that money, all guaranteed over $200 million, and they're sure not getting much back for their dollars. Um, this could turn out real bad if this guy has pocketed the money and says, hell, I'm not going out there and getting hurt. Who knows? You could see that. Uh, I think some players, when you overpay them too soon, they just say, "Hey, I got my bag, and I'm gonna. I'm just going to uh, not uh, not worry about it. I'm just going to coast out, get my money, and go on my merry way." That could be the case here. You certainly see it with Murray down in Arizona. Same kind of an attitude. A little bit too lackadaisical. Um, Kansas City, seven and a half at Denver. Kansas City starting to get it together. They're starting to get it together, and they're going to be tougher and tougher. But again, this is a road favorite in division. These are not the most percentage-wise positive EV plays. Cincinnati and San Francisco are not on the board yet. Uh, they're going to check the injuries, of course, off the San Francisco-Minnesota game, and we know the Niners have injuries. The Ravens, they made a statement last week. Lamar played a hell of a game. They manhandled Detroit. You expected Detroit to come show some slippage off the, the light schedule and the, all the hype and everything, but nothing like that. Uh, the Ravens could be a very, very dangerous team. If they get their pieces back, their health back,
and Lamar plays like that, they could be a very dangerous team. They're a eight and a half point favorite at Arizona, and um, talking about Murray coming back, but I don't, I don't think so, and I don't think it matters much at this point. Um, the Bears on the road at the Chargers. The Chargers are a nine point favorite to the Bears. Uh, the Bears, of course, are without Fields, and uh, I think I'm not sure how you say his name, Bajent, Bajent, something like that. He played, he played well. Small college guy, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of potential, but again, this is the NFL, and these guys are tough, and uh, that's a big nine point favorite there for the Chargers. Who again, this is a bad coach. Uh, and they're just not getting it together. And I don't think until the owners do something about the head coach, this team is ever going to go anywhere. And Justin uh, Herbert just doesn't look like he is the, all that in a, a bag of chips. Um, is he overrated or is he undercoached? And I'm going to go with he's got the talent, but he's being undercoached by a bad situation. And who knows? He does have the broken finger on the non-throwing hand. So you might get um, some progression when he starts to heal up a little bit more. We'll see. He hasn't looked that good so far this year. Once again, another solid job from Jim Feist reviewing the National Football League in action last week. He'll also have a preview on what's going on this week. You can check that all, all online on our Playbook Experts YouTube channel or at playbooksports.com. You don't want to miss that. And speaking about previews, how about Victor King doing an NFL over-under review and a preview on this week's NFL football game. Victor, take that away, if you will. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Mark Lawrence's Playbook, and we've got your NFL over-under review from last week's Game 7 action and a little bit of a preview for this week's Game 8 action in the NFL and uh, you see the totals tip sheet there uh, on my right. It is this week's issue of the totals tip sheet. And going low is still the way to go in the NFL, as in unders. Now, week seven, that's last week's action, is in the books. And it was not quite the complete whitewash that we saw in the previous week. Remember two weeks ago? Two overs, 12 unders, one tie. But from an average point-per-game perspective, last week was still the third lowest-scoring weekend of the entire season. The official results from last week in the NFL, now there was only 13 games because six teams were off with their bye, but there was five overs last week, and eight games ended up going under the total, the average combined points last week were 43.3. That was the average points per game. So we're just about through the month of October. We're almost two full months into the NFL season. After seven weeks, here's where we are right now. There has been 41 overs, 64 unders, one tie, that basically means that 61% of all NFL games this season have indeed gone under the total with a year-to-date average of just 43.4 combined points per game. 
A couple of things that we need to add. Um, the primetime games. We're starting to see some higher scoring results in the Thursday NFL games. It happened last week. It happened two weeks ago. Thursday games are now up to 48.6 in terms of average on the season. But with that said, we caution you, if you want to be betting the overs in the Sunday night and Monday night games, as those games have gone under the total big time. The Sunday night and the NFL Monday night games have now gone 3 and 13 over under on the season. And in fact, in the nine Monday night games this year, there's only been one game that's gone over. Eight of those Monday games have gone under with a very low scoring average of 36.2 points per game. So how are the lines makers adjusting this week? Well, right now, the average over under line is at an extremely low 40.3 points per game. It is the lowest average over under line for a full 16 game slate that we have seen in over 15 seasons. Now let's look ahead to this week. And as I just mentioned, there are no teams taken off this week with the bye week. All 32 NFL teams will be in action this week. Um, however, with that said, six teams are coming in off their bye last week. Four teams will be off next week. So from this week's total tip sheet, we got just a little blurb here about how teams perform uh, before their bye week and then, of course, after their bye week as well. In the last three seasons, NFL teams before their bye week have gone 31 and 46 over under. That's 60% under, and it's very solid. But in the last two years, the numbers are even better. 15 and 31, that's 67% under. And in this 2023 season alone, NFL teams have gone an almost perfect 1 and 12 over under. That's 1 over, 12 unders before their bye week. There are three teams playing this Sunday who will be off next week with their bye week. These are the three teams we want to look at to go under the total this week in Game 8 action. The three Sunday teams who will be off next week are the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're on the road against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Denver Broncos at home hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. And finally, the San Francisco 49ers hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. Those are the three games you want to target this week in terms of your totals. And we think you should decide to go low in all three of those games. That's Jacksonville-Pittsburgh under, Denver-Kansas City under, and finally, San Francisco-Cincinnati under the total. There you have it. We're coming up to week eight action in the NFL. That's your review from last week. A little bit of a preview for this week. We're going to get back to the Mark Lawrence podcast in the next minute or two. And don't forget this week's totals tip sheet newsletter available at the playbooksports.com website. Best of luck this week in NFL game eight action. As always, everything you need to know about handicapping NFL over under totals from the guru himself, Victor King from the playbook totals tip sheet as he reviewed and previewed the National Football League from an over-under perspective on the card this week. Let's move it over to Andy Isco as he does a great job every week on the show as he 
previews and shows with us, the line movements, the major line movements that are happening in Las Vegas on this week's NFL football card. Andy, do the honors, if you will. Thanks, Mark. And we'll take a look now at those line moves. These lines are from the Westgate Sportsbook, Racing Sportsbook here in Las Vegas. And we take a look at not just the line moves that occurred since Sunday night, but also compared to what the line was 10 days in advance. So this is week number eight that's coming up. Following the completion of week number six, two Sundays ago, the Westgate, uh, the following Tuesday, about 48 hours later, posted uh, bettable, actual bettable lines for week number eight, before even the Thursday night game, plus, of course, the Sunday-Monday games for week eight had even been played. So we can see a little bit of the adjustment based upon the results of week seven. Taking a look at the Thursday night game, Tampa Bay at Buffalo. Uh, prior, I'm going to mention prior to the season, uh, Tampa Bay was not expected to do much, and Buffalo was expected to be the, one of the two or three top teams in the league at this point. The advanced line actually had Buffalo in 11-point favorite. However, based upon the first six weeks, when that advanced line came up to Tuesday, uh, a week ago Tuesday, Buffalo was a nine-point home favorite. The game came down before Sunday's games and was then posted uh, with an adjustment of Buffalo only a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Tampa Bay following Buffalo's loss at New England. However, the betting action has been on Buffalo, and it's not back up at nine, but it has eight-and-a-half as we record these line moves on Wednesday afternoon. Looking at the Sunday-Monday schedule, and this is in no particular order. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys will be hosting the Los Angeles Rams. The advanced line had the Cowboys a six-point home favorite following uh, the results on Sunday when the Rams lost at home to Pittsburgh while Dallas had a uh, bye week. Uh, the game was reposted at six, and there's been an interesting double move in this game because the early money came in on the Rams where the line went down to five and a half, and yet as we do this podcast on Wednesday afternoon, it's back up and over the uh, adjusted opening line of six. Cowboys now six and a half point favorites. Looking at the game, Atlanta at Tennessee, the advance line uh, opened Atlanta as a one point road favorite at Tennessee. Of course, Tennessee had a buy. Atlanta won at Tampa Bay. But before the line was reposted, early money had come in on Tennessee and Atlanta was bet down to a pick em. When the line was reposted after Atlanta's win, the Falcons opened two-point road favorites, and they have since been bid up to a two-and-a-half-point road favorite at Tennessee. We had another sort of switch in moves in favorites, the game between New Orleans at uh, Indianapolis. Of course, New Orleans had lost uh, at uh, uh, Jacksonville before week uh, uh, seven was played. The advanced line prior to that game, the Tuesday before, 48 hours before that kickoff at Jacksonville, or against Jacksonville, had the Saints a one-and-a-half-point favorite over Indianapolis for Week 8. That line was bet up to two. The line came down, and after the Colts had that uh, heroic but uh, just just short effort against uh, Cleveland on Sunday, losing 39-38, the game opened with the Saints and Colts a pick em. The early money has come in on Indianapolis at the point now. They were initially on the advance line, a one-and-a-half-point uh, home underdog. They are bet to a one-point home favorite at midweek. New England at Miami. This one drew some attention because the Patriots uh, pulled that uh, huge upset over Buffalo in week uh, uh, in, in week seven. And of course, the Dolphins lost uh, on the road at Philadelphia. Not a big surprise there. The 12, the 10 day advance line had Miami a 12 and a half point home favorite over New England. After the uh, action on Sunday afternoon where the Patriots lost, but before Miami played at Philadelphia, the Dolphins opened up an 11-and-a-half point favorite. When the Dolphins lost on Monday on Sunday night, 
The Monday morning line had a further adjustment where Miami opened as a 10-point home favorite, and the money has still come in on New England, this uh, down to a 9.5-point home favorite. And keep in mind, this is a second meeting of the season. Back in week two on Sunday night, uh, the Dolphins went in, and in a rather, I won't say uninspired, but methodical effort, beat New England 24-17. And, of course, that was after that high-scoring explosive win by Miami in week one over the uh, Chargers. And the uh, Patriots uh, had lost to uh, Philadelphia. So this is a rematch of that uh, week two game. And apparently uh, people are putting some stock into New England's effort in uh, upsetting Buffalo this past Sunday. Jacksonville will be at Pittsburgh. Uh, The Jaguars uh, were an advanced two-point road favorite in that contest uh, after the uh, contest was played and Phil- and the Steelers, uh, well, Jacksonville had uh, won on a Thursday night uh, against the Saints. The uh, Steelers lost at home. Uh, I'm sorry, the Steelers went on the road and won at the Rams on Sunday. So there was an adjustment uh, towards Pittsburgh. The adjusted line on Sunday night opened as a pick'em. But the betters felt that uh, that advance line was pretty good as Jacksonville has been bet up to a two and a half point road favorite at Pittsburgh. Uh, Cleveland at Seattle. The advance line had Seattle a one and a half point home favorite. Seattle won last week against Arizona. Cleveland uh, won in that uh, wild game at Indianapolis. The adjusted line on Sunday evening opened with the Seattle Seahawks, a two and a half point home favorite. It then has been bet up in the interim uh, between then and now to as high as Seattle minus four. However, it's settled in now as we record on Wednesday afternoon, Seattle, a three and a half point home favorite. Uh, Looking at the Baltimore at Arizona game, the Ravens, of course, with that huge win over Red Hot Detroit and the Cardinals, a game but losing effort uh, at Seattle. The Ravens were seven and a half point favorites on the road in the advanced numbers a week ago Tuesday uh, when the game was reposted. uh, The Ravens opened as eight point road favorites in Arizona, and that's been since bet up a little bit more. Ravens now eight and a half. Looking at the Bears at the Chargers, uh, Chargers coming off uh, their uh, their bye week. The Bears uh, had that uh, a nice win at home against Las Vegas last Sunday night. The advance uh, last uh, last Sunday rather, the uh, advance line had the Chargers a ten point home favorite. When the game was reposted after the Bears loss uh, after the Bears win against Vegas, Chargers were an eight and a half point home favorite. That had been bet up to nine, but it settled back down now with the Chargers eight and a half over Chicago. That is this week's Sunday night game. And the Monday night game does have the Las Vegas Raiders at the uh, Detroit Lions. Raiders losing at Chicago. Uh, Detroit losing uh, just as badly uh, at Baltimore. The advanced line had the Lions opening as seven-point favorites. They were bet up to seven and a half before the game came off on Sunday morning. Uh, after those, both both of those teams lost uh, during the, uh, the day, the Lions were Put back up as those same seven-point uh, road favorites that were initially installed a week ago Tuesday. Since then, however, the action has been fairly one-sided as the Lions have been bet up for next Monday night's game against the Raiders to eight-and-a-half-point home favorites. That's a recap of the uh, significant line moves thus far for week number eight. And with that, I'll send it back to you, Mark. And now we're up to speed on all the major line moves in Las Vegas Courtesy of Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com. Andy, great job as always. And I know you had a comment you wanted to make. Yes, Mark. Thank you. Uh, 
Funny how timing works. You never know when these line moves are going to occur. But uh, right after we concluded recording the line move segment prior to the uh, start of this podcast, the information came out about the game we just talked about previously, the Cincinnati at San Francisco game. The news came out. So the line had already shown some movement. Actually, was interesting when the game had opened. Uh, San Francisco was opened on Sunday evening, a six-point favorite. It was initially bet down to five and a half and then bet up up to six and a half when the game came off as soon as the uh, news about Purdy came out. Then it was reposted, and I think it was reposted at four or three and a half. It's down to uh, uh, three right now. So uh, that uh, that is now the latest up-to-date information, certainly worth monitoring over the uh, balance of the week leading up to, uh, uh, to game time. And by the way, uh, we've got uh, the contest information that I uh, have each week that's available on the Playbur- Playbook Experts YouTube channel where we go over the uh, five significant contests each week on a weekly basis to let you know what happened, get you set for the coming week. Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com with another fine segment here on this show. And guys, Let's get into it. Let's get into one of our favorite segments on the show. I'm going to welcome in our producer, Greg DePalma, uh, as we're going to do our, our roundtable and discuss the football games on tap this week. Greg, welcome to the show. And anything you want to throw out to us, we're ready for it. All right. So I was looking over uh, handicapping the games this week, and I was taking a look at one game in the NFL that intrigued me was the matchup of the two top rookie quarterbacks the Houston Carolina game. And then I noticed one thing that I I felt was interesting to bring up and get your take, Mark, uh, especially from the, from the data book. And that is that you have a Houston team. Yes. They've got the rookie quarterback. Yes. Carolina has a rookie quarterback, but the difference in this game I noticed is that Frank Reich veteran head coach he's been through bye weeks before he's coming off a bye. Houston also coming off a bye but they have a rookie head coach. So that's when I decided, that's when I thought, okay, well, this probably be something to ask you whether or not you found any data regarding, you know, which coaches this week or generally, you know, down the line uh, are good off of a buy or bad off of a buy. And then knowing of course that uh, you gotta, you gotta put a little bit of a, a, of a, a chink there, maybe a negative, even though we don't know if it'll be an ultimate negative with a rookie head coach coming off a bye for the first time in Houston. So uh, does Carolina have an advantage here? Well, yeah, the thing you mentioned to me that really got, kind of caught my attention was uh, going in and looking for data on situations like this. And I can say, when you mentioned that to me, can I, am I able to do that? I can say, yeah, I got a little bit of a woody going on here. Of course I can do that. Let me tell you exactly what it is that I found here. Okay. Uh, these are this week. We had six teams that were off last week on bye weeks. Uh, five of them are coached by coaches that have been here before with bye weeks As Greg mentioned here, uh, D'Amico Ryan says not, he's a rookie coach, but these are the records of the coaches playing this week in their NFL careers when their teams are coming off a bye week. And we're going to stop. We're going to run this alphabetically here. First team is the Carolina Panthers. As Greg mentioned here, Frank Reich in his career off a bye week, he's had four times he's been there. He's won all four football games and gone three Oh and one against the spread. So he does a really masterful job in preparing his team in games with extra rest. Take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals, Zach Taylor, 
not so good, mediocre, but uh, I would give him a C minus. Uh, he's on a bye week here. He's three and two straight up overall, but only two and three against the spread. You've got Dallas Mike McCarthy, a veteran who's been around the long while with the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, he's been in many, many more games coming off a bye week. He's 12 and seven straight up, 13, five and one to the spread. So he's a pretty good coach, is Mike McCarthy with his teams coming off a of bye week. The New York Jets, Robert Sala, he hasn't been around too long, but he's been here two times coming off a of bye week, and he's failed straight up and against the spread in both games coming off a of bye week. And I want to throw this out because this was in the playbook newsletter as well. The New York Jets going into this game against the Giants guys, by the way, are one and 13 the last 14 games coming off a of bye. So the Jets kind of maybe eat a little bit too much of that great cooking in the restaurants in the city of New York, and they don't tend to show up for football games after a bye. And Robert Sala is continuing that trend in New York. The final guy playing this week off a bye is the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel, who I think is one of I think of one of the more exceptional coaches in the National Football League. Unfortunately, his hands have been tied a lot last year and this year with injuries, uh, but he'll do a nice job and he'll get his football team turned around out of this. Vrabel has been five times playing with a bye week in his NFL career with the Titans. He's won all five of those football games, and he's cashed all five of those football games as well. So we'll see whether or not T Tennessee can bounce back off the map this week, whether or not Carolina can get their first win this week with coaches that have never lost in bye week situations. That's what I found, Greg. Yeah, and, and so you got to think that even though Carolina's like one of the more banged-up teams in the NFL – that we know means an awful lot. The whole buy situation. We have an unknown with a rookie coach, and also Houston is favored in this game. And this is the first time I believe they're a road favorite since 2020. Yep. Yep. And I believe the last time they laid points, they got murdered as a favorite as well, Greg. I'd, li I'd like to interject something here. Yes. Uh, Frank Reich is not going to be calling the plays this week. Uh, they have. He's given that up. And um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Tom his offensive coordinator, Tom. yes. Yep, he's going to be calling the plays. And his background is much more aggressive downfield throws. He's uh, Reich has done a very poor job. As, an, as Actually, in most cases, he hasn't done that well as a head coach. But with this team calling plays, he's been highly criticized. And they've been asking him to give up the play calling duties for since the beginning of the year and he's finally done it he finally put his ego aside and said we got to do something he'll get fired i mean the owner well, what better time to do it jim than with a bye week to prepare the offensive coordinator with the new duties and the new assignment and my my answer to that is that statement is it certainly can't hurt the carolina panthers mm -hmm. uh, they can't do any worse than they've been doing so far well, and the other, and the other thing is, but excuse me for a moment. The other thing is, that has to sit well with the players as well, who are probably wondering why we have an offensive coordinator who's not calling the plays, considering the guy who is calling the plays is not working. Players have to feel and good about this. Take a, take a look at the total in this game. This will go to you, Victor. Open forty-one and a half. It's up to forty-three and a half, and one place is forty-three and a half minus fifteen, which is uh, well, actually, it's, it's leaning under. So. In, in any case, it's this isn't the kind of a game I would look at and say, well, these two teams are uh, over teams, not with what's been going on for the whole year. But now with this new information, somebody has bet this game up two points. Very right. interesting. Uh, Victor, how do you see that shaking out from a total standpoint? 
Well, it's another game in which the road team is favored in the NFL. These have been tremendous underplays, particularly over the last uh, two years. It's probably one of about six or seven, maybe even eight games this week in which the road team is favored. So for me, uh, regardless of the line move, I will not be betting the over in these games. I may track the line move, and maybe when it reaches its zenith, I might come uh, in with a play on the under at that point. If we can get to 44 or maybe 44 and a half, then I would come in on the under myself. Uh, but again, uh, it's one of these situations that we can't explain in the NFL that games in which the road team are favored have gone under at such a high percentage over the last couple of seasons. Greg, any other things you want to throw out at us during this roundtable? That was a great conversation. Yeah, actually, I wanted to, before we move on, Andy, did you say before that uh, something about winless teams off buys? I think that was Mark who had uh, who had done some research on that. Yeah, they've they've done really rather well, winless teams off of buys. You know, they take that extra week to uh, kind of rub the stain off, if you will, a little bit more focus, a little bit more preparation. And it probably works as much as anything as the other team generally playing down to their level. I don't know if Houston can play much down to their level, but uh, it, that's a fact, though. Okay. Winless teams off a of bye week. By the way, well. Mark, I know you did it last week with uh, the Giants. Uh, maybe it was the week against Buffalo. Carolina also, according to my numbers, has yet to cover a point spread. 0-5-1 through six right. games. Uh, how do uh, winless teams against the spread this deep into the season do, if you've, if you've got that information? Well, uh, winless teams, the deeper you go, the better they do to the spread. Uh, excuse me. I shouldn't say winless teams straight up. Winless teams have yet to cover a point spread. Well, that's a good question, Andy. Uh, I know I hit on it last year with the Giants, and uh, we could probably run it again from an 0-5 and 1 standpoint, but I'll say this, if it worked for the Giants at 0-5, it will certainly work for another team that's 0-5 and 1 to the spread, uh, which with Carolina Panthers would be. So they're kind of in a similar path, or similar uh, road, if you will, that the New York Giants were, yeah. uh, getting out of the gate with no point spread covers. What it basically means is you're getting a lot of value with the football team that basically the public wants no piece of. Which, by the way, seems counterintuitive when you say, how can a three-point home underdog Re, be value when they're winless. That may be a nice key as far as what the right side is in this game. I think there's no question about that. That's a great observation. Okay, so I know it's happened pretty quick, but then again, look at San Francisco. Within a couple of weeks, everybody's wondering, are they the best team after all? Said so the same thing about the Cowboys. Well, I'm going to bring this up about whether or not you guys, we'll start off with you, Jim, believe that the Miami Dolphins are overrated. And I say that because... Their, their five wins have come against losing teams by a 203 to 108 margin. They've destroyed bad teams and they've only played two winning teams and they've lost them both by a 79 to 37 margin. Absolutely overrated. They, they have not, they have not played a schedule that you can give a lot of respect to. Now that's, that's consistent in this league because we have a lot of, I think there's 19 teams that don't even have a winning record. So it, it, this is a league that's down this year. It's a B league or maybe even a B plus league or B minus league, depending on what your point of view is. So you're, a lot of these teams are playing like Detroit, for example, they didn't play murderers row either. And they got handled pretty well last week by the Ravens who, by the way, um, the Ravens right now should be mentioned in all the conversations as 
possibly one of the top three or four teams in the league. Now that they're getting healthy and with the quarterback they have and a very good head coach and a very good offensive coordinator, you cannot sleep on that team. That's and the defense is coming around, Jim, as well. It's, that's right. So, But going back to that, it, when these teams play very poor schedules, it's uh, – it's you know we we do it all the time and and when we're when we're handicapping bowl games or playoff games and we look at the who they played who they play this year and you get strength of schedule is big and it's big during the season as well so Miami has not really stood up to anybody really good now they've handled the ones that they've handled in a remarkable fashion so I don't think they're terrible by any stretch and they could very easily get better. They have a good defensive coordinator. They have a good offensive coordinator, which is their head coach. So they have a lot and they have a lot of talent. So. Well, we're going to find out about whether they continue that path this week, because they're playing another losing bad football team in new England. So I guess we're gonna to have to wait a while to gauge them a little bit about playing winning teams. There's one little adage that I always had about strength of schedule and when one team is, is uh, uh, beats up on poor teams, uh, the, the fact of the matter is those poor teams, the, one, a lot of the losses those poor teams took are against the teams that beat them up that were pretty good. That, to your point, Mark, I was going to mention, that's one of the things that I tr track. And I'll use Baltimore and Miami as an example. Baltimore is 5-2. and two. Their opponents are 25-18. Uh, excuse me, their, their opponents are 24 and 20. However, when you take out those opponents' games against Baltimore, we find that Baltimore's five wins have been against teams that are a collective 17 and 9 against wow. teams other than Baltimore. Now, there, now, Baltimore's two losses are against teams that are just 5 and 6 against the rest of the league. Now, when we go to Miami, their opponents are 18-29 overall, but when you take out the games their opponents played against Miami, Miami has beaten teams that are just 8 and 20 against the rest of the NFL, eight and four are their two losses. So it's just so much surprising that sometimes these good teams end up losing the bad teams and they beat teams that have not done very well against the rest of the league. So I'll throw out the Jets for an example, because they're an interesting contrast. They are uh, three and three straight up. Their opponents are 24 and 17. Now the Jets three wins have come against teams that are 12 and six against the rest of the league. They're playing the Giants who are two and five, Giants two wins have come against teams that are four and eight against the rest of the league. That's handicapping 101. A great way to uh, to really get into the true strength of schedules, as Andy Isco just mentioned, about taking out the record of the teams that are involved, uh, the opponents that are involved in a situation like that. So uh, if you learn nothing else on the show today, that was a great, great <laughs> point that Andy Isco brought about. I'm not saying that you're not going to learn anything or didn't learn anything, but that was a great point Andy brought out. Yeah, hey guys, can I can I throw out a question here, guys? Sure. It's a it's actually like a, an NFL related uh, trivia question, and uh, let's get maybe Greg, our producer, in here as well. He may have a an answer as well. But there's only been one team in the NFL this season that has scored 20 points or more in every single game, and guys, I seriously doubt you're going to get it. But can I get a guess from the panel, everybody? The NFL team that has scored 20 points or more in every game this year. Well, I don't want to have to look at my stat and logbook because I'd be cheating, Victor. Yes, you would. <laughs> well, considering you said we will never guess it, 
uh, we're not going to we're not going to think about any of the top teams. So I'm well, sure. Obviously, you know, you, you think it might be one of the top four teams. There are four teams who are averaging yeah. 28 or like more a Philadelphia points or somebody, season. right? Miami, San Francisco, Buffalo, Philadelphia, all four of those guesses would be wrong. The correct answer is the Indianapolis Colts. Oh my. The only team to score 20 or more in every single game this season. Uh, I can't get over what the Colts did to the Browns last week. The easily best defense in the NFL. The Colts, the Colts had a 75-yard TD drive, a 75-yard TD drive, a 75-yard TD drive, a 75-yard TD drive, a 57-yard TD drive, and a 41-yard field goal drive. They scored 38 offensive points on over 400 yards of offense against the uh, best defense in the NFL by far. All, all I can say is, yeah, Baltimore has been very impressive. Uh, a team like Jacksonville has been very impressive. Four wins in 19 days in four different locations, basically. But I think this Shane Steichen from the Colts is legit. Well, well Victor, that, that's a bar bet. Nobody, you, everybody would win if you asked that question. That's a beauty. Nobody would guess the Indianapolis Colts. Excellent, I can tell you that. excellent. He, Even Colts fans. <laughs> yes, Steichen was with Philadelphia last year. Right. Yes, he was, my man. Super Bowl. He's doing an excellent job. Um, and, and, and and they don't have a great wide receiving core. They have a below average tight end room. They didn't have any running yeah, back. They got two while. stud running backs now with yep. Moss and Taylor. But they've been doing it with a rookie quarterback half the season, and now uh, Uncle Rico, mustache man, Gardner Minshew, a quarterback, who had a why, very, why very they, good game last week against the Browns. Why are they an underdog? It, it, it flips back and forth, but a one-point underdog at times to the Saints. The Saints have done nothing. It's I didn't even know why the Saints were favored over Jacksonville last week. Right. That what, made no sense. The, even even they, when Lawrence was declared the starter, the line didn't move. It probably goes to the Saints' defense more than anything. Uh, it certainly doesn't go to Derek Carr, who's uh, really been a bust of sorts, obviously, since they give him all those big, big dollars. But mm-hmm. you know, the Saints' defense is what really keeps him in football games. But, but this is Indianapolis offense that I think uh, they have to worry about this week. Let me ask you a question. Let's just throw this out. You know, if, if, if somebody's working at your house like a contractor or something, and they haven't finished, finished the job yet, we generally don't pay them all their money until the job is done. Well, in football, these very wealthy and mega wealthy people that own these teams do the opposite. They guarantee contracts. They pay big money to these people, and you get guys like it. And I'm not, I'm not accusing anyone, but I'm throwing it out there. Deshaun Watson, Murray down in Arizona, they got their bag. And once you get your bag, are you still as hungry? Do you still want to go out there and get hit and beat up? You got your bag. You're probably never going to make any more than that. And you already got your bag. That's a great point. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't because you own a National Football League team and you're a billionaire, it doesn't give you uh, much for an IQ, it doesn't guarantee that you have a large <laughs> IQ. <laughs> Well, the thing is, is, is it's an open market, so yeah. it only takes one general manager and one owner, just like they did with Watson. The rest of the yeah. the rest of the owners were, as we all know, were very upset when yes. Watson got that deal. 
Yeah, they play to, they play to the fanaticism of the fan base who say, "Why aren't you doing what this other team is doing to improve the quality of of the product you're putting out on the field?" And that's what drives the salaries up. You know, remember guys like Steinbrenner in baseball for many years would overpay to keep them away from other teams, and the other teams would start uh, demanding. He started their, it. The fan he base. was the one. Steinbrenner, good good point, Andy. He, he started it all. I remember growing up and reading those. I, I remember reading the newspaper when Winfield became mm. the first uh, <laughs> million dollar player. I can still remember it. Just reading that paper, it just it was such a a, a change of times in sports. Uh, yeah, I remember when Wayne Garland signed a million dollar contract oh. with the Cleveland Indians. That seemed like all the money in the world at the time, you know. Speaking of Cleveland, they're at Seattle. And nobody knows who's going to be the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns this week. But well, it's, Jay Walker, not, Walker. it's not going to be Watson. They ruled him out. Okay. No, wait, right. They, they, they it's confirmed Walker. it's Walker today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can't they can't keep this up, can they? Well, if their defense is, uh, shows up for every football game, they possibly can. Uh, the, I think the, the question that begs is when and if Watson is healthy and can play, how good can this football team be? You know, and by the way, the the stats that Victor mentioned last week of what uh, Indianapolis did against that Cleveland defense, the Browns still rank number one, allowing just 243 yards per game. So, uh, you know, even with the, one of their, what, uh, six games uh, taken in the database, six or seven games, they still lead the league after that poor effort against Indianapolis. Right. That's how strong their defense was yeah. in the previous games. Absolutely. And what do you guys think about the Jacksonville-Pittsburgh game? Uh, Pittsburgh all of a sudden has woken up. Just a few weeks ago, they couldn't stand. There, there were a lot of fans that just couldn't stand what what they were seeing at quarterback. And Pickett was was not playing well. And the coordinator, I'm sure they still want to get rid of him, but he, they hung in there with Pickett, and he led that late touchdown drive against Baltimore, and it changed everything. And now all of a sudden, they're what four and two, and they're taking on a Jacksonville team that hasn't lost yet since uh since they've uh taken that trip to london so what do you think about this one i think the wrong they got the wrong favorite really you think pittsburgh should be the favorite i agree it, with it that. is a little surprising yes yes i agree with that even though pittsburgh stats are rotten i mean as rotten as they get uh, i still think the wrong team is favored because what's being overlooked here is jacksonville is getting very very sloppy in the stats they've been out yarded their last two football games now they're going out road favorites to a football team that really relishes the role that they're going to be in this particular oh, week. Yeah. I think Absolutely. This is, a, this is a spot I think Jacksonville can get exposed. Yeah, it's, it's one of the situations where the stats might be a little bit misleading because, Mark, as you point out, 31st in total offense are the Steelers, 274 per game, 30th on defense, allowing 384 per game. And that's, uh, uh, that's those are horrible numbers. What Pittsburgh does well, and they're number four in the league, is they average – 2.0 takeaways per game, which is nice. The only problem, Jacksonville's a little bit better. They've uh, averaged 2.3 takeaways per game, best in the league. So uh, they've been an opportunistic defense, has Jacksonville, so has Pittsburgh. But, uh, you know, you look at their record. When you take a look at these stats, you wonder how they've won any games. Uh, but, again, you go back to that first game against Cleveland, special teams, defensive touchdowns. They happen to be opportunistic uh, when they uh, get that opportunity. I don't know how long this can hold up, uh, but they are in a division where you do have a questionable quarterback in uh, in Cleveland right now with with, with Watson. Uh, Burrow seems to be healthy, but Cincinnati has some ground to make up because their offense has not been productive. 
That entire division could make the playoffs and maybe should make the playoffs. Well, they could when you look around the league. I mean, we thought we thought the Chargers and Denver would be legitimate challengers in the west of Kansas City. That doesn't appear to be the case. It looked as it looks now that Jacksonville is the best team in what is at best an average AFC South. I mean, I think Jacksonville won the division last year at nine and eight. And you look at the East, maybe that's the one team. You know, if you're, t- if you're taking a look at maybe three of the four teams in the uh, AFC North will get in, maybe that'll be because both Miami and Buffalo make the playoffs. You know, to Jim's point here, guys, uh, I also I agree with them that the wrong team is favored. Uh, Pittsburgh is a different animal at home than they are on the road as well. Uh, they tend to protect their home turf pretty well. And now you dress him as an underdog. You go look at Mike Tomlin's record as an underdog. It's absolutely outstanding. That's one of the reasons I think there's an upset in the making in that game. Well, he does not get the kind of credit that he deserves as being an outstanding coach for 15, 16 years. Yeah, Never I had a just, losing season. I was just going to ask that. How long has he been a coach? 15, 16 years. The guy plays old school's 1950, 1960 football. And he's just tough. He's a tough character. Um, he knows what he's doing. He doesn't have all the talent in the world. You know, not everybody on that team, maybe the defensive side, he has a tremendous talent, but the offensive side, he just plugs along and waits for you to make a mistake and he takes advantage. It's, hey, Victor, uh, didn't Mike Tomlin uh, coach under Chuck Knoll? Am I correct on that? Yes, absolutely did too. And, you know, uh, again, this is uncharted water for the Jaguars. It's the fact that they are 4 0 in their last four games that they are laying points on the road, but the true line should be the Steelers minus three in this particular game. I mean, no team has ever returned from playing Europe twice and not played with rest the next week. At some point, that all has to come catching up and crashing down. Therefore, a like 24 to 10 or 24 to 13 Steeler win would not surprise us at all. Well, they do have the extra few days from the Thursday game. That might help them. They have a bye next week. Maybe psychologically that works against them, thinking about the bye. The uh, bye finally next week, right? Yeah. yeah. And and by the way, here's contrasting trends. As you mentioned with Pittsburgh as a home dog, 12-2-4 in their last 18 in, in that scenario. 2-1 and one this year in that, in that spot. Jacksonville, though, 4-0 straight up and against the spread away from home this year because that's London. So away from home, 4-0, and 7-0 against the spread in their last seven away from home. So that's contrasting uh, trends. Pittsburgh's got a little bit longer lasting one, a little bit longer proving one. So we'll see if the line moves at all. I want to switch over to college and ask you about the big play because this just, just drives me nuts. College football officiating with the targeting rule and just with the whole idea of – it's sort of reminding me, guys, uh, as as hockey fans, uh, of the of, of the year that they had the instant replay first established with the with the crease and and the goaltender interference. It would drive you nuts almost every play, every goal. You had to wait to find out if the official was going to call interference on the, uh, against the goaltender, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that's what's happening in college football right now. And in the Iowa-Minnesota game, to me, that was just an absolute travesty. Look, as a, as a football fan, isn't this all – I mean, everybody talks about the NFL and they're trying to make it offensive and all that. Well, I'm sure college football want, wants to be exciting and offensive too. Well, then, how do you – I mean, how they come up with this ridiculous rule – 
that the guy was calling a fair catch or he was moving his hand the wrong way and he scores a touchdown and the place is going bananas and then they take it away. It's just uh, you can't have that in the game. You just well, can't. You not, right. not for you... something that that that, that he, change the rule then. If you want to say that they they, they they followed the letter of the rule, that is a bad rule. Well, you were right. That game was very offensive. Offensive to those sensibilities of us who enjoy football because very little happened. But as I understand the rule, he didn't even really signal for a fair catch because didn't the arm have to be raised above I a certain so. like a waist or something? And clearly it was not. It almost looked like he was shooing guys away from him. Like he was saying, yes. get away, get away, get away. Yes. And he was probably looking to see the ball go out of bounds and not touch himself. And then he realized I could pick it up and run and uh, caught the uh, – that may be one of the worst – uh, rulings ever. Now, I don't know if that was reviewable or not. Uh, it may not have been because I would have thought if they reviewed it, they would have come to that conclusion that that was a, a legitimate uh, play, that there was, no, there was no valid fair catch signal. I don't know if it was reviewable. Well, unfortunately, you know, Iowa, there would be a one-loss team and they'd be in contention, if you will, yep. uh, with, uh, with, with Wisconsin over yep. in their division. And, now uh, they're done. Yeah, now they're done. What they what they need to do, Iowa, though, is find a little more offense. I mean, <laughs> 230 yards a game isn't going to get it done. Yeah, haven't, they been looking, haven't they been looking for offense for the last 20 years? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen a total un, unrelated to weather that was 30 and a half like it was in that game. Right. I, I remember I, – I can't remember the name of the quarterback, but remember they had that black quarterback about 20, 25 years ago, and they had a couple of years where their offense was amazing. I can't remember the name of the quarterback, though. He never went on and did anything in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, that was the first time and the only time I ever remember an Iowa team. It was, it was probably a period when Kirk Ferentz didn't go on recruiting trips. <laughs> By the way, after that touchdown that was taken back, the first thing I started thinking about was whether Cooper DeGene should have, should have been elevated up to one of the top Heisman contenders. And they took that away from him, too. Because how could you not give him an opportunity to be a Heisman contender if that was going to be his second punt return game-winning touchdown? That's just amazing, considering he's, he's an all-pro uh, caliber college football DB to begin with. Yeah, and he would have been on a 7-1 team, as you mentioned. You know? Yeah. So right. anyway, um, that'll wrap it up. Andy, you got a pick? Uh, I'm going to go to the game we sort of touched upon a little bit earlier, and that's the NFL game between Atlanta and uh, Tennessee. And Mark pointed out the record of uh, Mike Vrabel uh, coming off of a bye. But I'm also going to take a look at the scheduling situation for the uh, Tennessee Titans. It's a great spot for Tennessee. This is a team that still has the talent to, to be a playoff team this year. Last year, I don't, th I don't think early in the season they recovered. Remember, this is a team that, including the playoffs in 2019, 11 and 8, 11 and 6 in 2020, 12 and 6 in 2021. Last year they start 7 and 3 and lose seven straight games. I think it took them a while to uh, recover. Now Tannehill is not going to start this week. It's Levis and uh, uh, the other kids it's going to be Lewis, starting. Yeah. yeah, Lewis for uh for the Titans. Uh, I don't know that I, clearly the experience is not the same as Tannehill, but Tannehill had not been an outstanding performer and they still have uh, Derrick Henry and going up against Atlanta. Uh, well, they're going up a team that has its own issues at quarterback uh, with uh, with Ritter. But look at the schedule for Tennessee. They last played at home against Cincinnati on October 1st, okay? Then at Indianapolis, over in London, a bye week. 
Now they're back home playing in Atlanta, their next three games, at Pittsburgh, at Tampa Bay, at Jacksonville. So if they're going to make any headway as to making a run for the playoffs, this is a game they pretty much have to win, considering that this will be their only home game between October 1st and November 26th. Uh, They have the talent to be able to do something against Atlanta, although I do give Atlanta credit. They are a much better defensive team this year than we thought, than many of us thought they would be. We thought that Atlanta, some people thought Atlanta had a real chance to make the playoffs largely because of the, the running back and the offense overall. They've actually been playing well because of the defense, but I think Tennessee wins this game and both of these teams, and Victor, you can probably verify this. I believe they are, are something like one in six or one in five uh, to the, uh, or, to, to the over, meaning I think they're each six and one under this year. And this game shapes up like a 17-13 type game, and I'm going to be on Tennessee this week. Well, Andy, if it's anything like Baltimore, your free pick last week, uh, I'll be first in line at the window uh, backing the Tennessee Titans this week. Jim, before Victor and I move on to close out the show, have you got any final closing thoughts you might have on the NFL football card this week? Well, I, I have a lot of games I like this week, and, and uh, one of them I, I mentioned before, I thought the Colts – I didn't understand the line. I thought the Colts should uh, be the be favored, and I, I expect them to win the game. Um, I I think that there's going to be a big there's going to be a lot of change in this Tampa Bay not excuse me Panther game. They're, if they're out able to spread the ball out, get the ball down the field, different play caller. I have to take Panthers plus the points at home. Uh, it's just uh, I, I can't see the Texans a road favorite. It just doesn't it doesn't fit with my DNA with a team quite like that. Um, so I, I, I think there's a lot of plays on this board and we're gonna have to watch for some of these really good teams starting to get back into not back into, but for the first time this year become more efficient in their in their games in their their offenses because you know we went through a you know a preseason which doesn't obviously doesn't accomplish a lot the old rules are different than the new rules and what they're able to do and then you go through the first five or six weeks and some of these teams are going to start to change they're going to start to look better especially if they get players back that are hurt or if they lose players like what might be happening with san francisco with all the banged up players that they have in Al Purdy. So we got to look for a change. Uh, I'd be really scared to bet against the Ravens. The way they're, the way they are right now, they've got a lot of players back and they're going up against Arizona, who I think has fallen off a cliff a little bit. Um, you know, they did some things early, but you know, these teams that are thin and don't have a lot of talent or a lot of depth, they're going to start to fall up, fall apart. Wise words from a wise man in Las Vegas, Jim Feist, with his final closing thoughts on the NFL football card. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I want to thank our friends Andy Esco from TheLogicalApproach.com and the legend Jim Feist himself from Las Vegas for being on the show this week, guys. Victor and I are going to wrap up the show. I'm going to wish you guys nothing but the best of luck this week. Thank you. Good luck to everybody. And the same in return. Good luck to everyone. All right, Victor, what do you say? I'm going to get, I'm going to uh, do the awesome angle of the week, and we'll share our complimentary plays. As far as the awesome angle of the week goes this week, I call it seven and out. And what we're looking to do is to play against any seven and oh college football road favorite in game eight. If they're facing a 600 or better conference opponent who's coming off a win, 
you put all those factors together, 7-0 road favorite, game eight, 600 or better opponent, conference off a win. By playing against these guys, we've gone 35-15 and 15 against the spread since 1980. That's a rock-solid 70%, if you will, since 1980. I like numbers like that. I'll be playing against Ohio State when they take on Wisconsin this week for our awesome angle seven and out play this week. And with that, Victor, I'm going to turn it over to you for your complimentary play on the football card this week. What are you looking at? Well, first off, let me uh, throw in a couple of notes from Andy's play. You know, Andy was covering the Atlanta Falcons, Tennessee Titans game. And you are right about one thing, Andy. We got two big time under teams in that game. In fact, Tennessee and Atlanta are already combined two and 11 over under on the season. That's just two overs and 11 unders. And during Andy's segment, I also was able to get into the database here. And uh, I took a look at the fact that, you know, this Tennessee Atlanta game is bordering on 35 points. The over underline is right now 35 to 35 and a half. It is the lowest over underline of the week in the NFL. And, um, in the last two years in the NFL, there's only been six games in which the over-under line was 36 points or less. Zero overs, five unders, one tie. It usually means that that low over-under line is indeed justified by a fairly low-scoring, ugly final score. So uh, there you go. A couple uh, tidbits or ammunition that also point to a low-scoring game in terms of the uh, uh, Falcons and the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, Mark, for our free play, we're going to give the ball to Tuco again. Last week he did hit his New York Giants team total under the total. We had the Giants under their team total of 19 points in the home game against Washington, and uh, we're thrilled they won the game, but the final score was 14-7, to and the Giants did indeed go under the total. And that's what Tuco is going to be doing for the second week in a row. He's going to be going low in the NFC East division game. This time, he's going to be playing the home underdog, Washington Commanders, to score under 18 and a half points as they are hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, in an AFC East division game, you got a bad home scoring offense. In the Commanders, they're only averaging 14.3 points per game at home this year against a very, very good road scoring defense, and that's the Eagles. In their road games this season, they're only allowing 16.3 points per game. Now, I know these two teams hooked up a few weeks ago. It was a 34-31 to 31 shootout in Philadelphia. But since then, Washington has really, really struggled on offense they're only averaging 230 yards per game in their last two games. And, of course, as I just mentioned, they'll be taking on a dynamic Philadelphia defense that just held the league's number one offense, our Dolphins down here, to only 244 offensive yards and only 17 points in that Sunday uh, win last week. Uh, the clincher NFC East games in which the home team is an underdog, these teams at home have averaged – only 14.7 points per game in the last three years. So there you have it. We're giving the ball to Tuco again. He's running with it, and he's playing an under for the second week in a row. 
This week, Mark, it's going to be commanders from Washington to score under 18 and a half points. And again, don't forget all of our uh, King Creole OU selections in the colleges and the NFL available at playbooksports.com or our shortcut address. Just type this into your website browser, pb.buzz slash VK. Victor King and Tuco team up largely Tuco, I should say, on the Washington Commanders under 18 and a half for his complimentary play on the show this week. And now for our listeners out there that are familiar with Tuco, they know that he does tend to get on these major streaks and these major runs. So you might want to watch that when we talk next week. Again, he cashed another ticket. We'll find out how that all shakes out. Before I get to my complimentary play, once again, our friends at uwager.lv are featuring monthly 5% rebates that's right. You get a 5% rebates on all your losses at uwager.lv. They're the home of free same-day payouts. It's where the world bets. Check it out at uwager.lv or give them a call toll-free at 800-U-Wager. Now, before I get to my complimentary play, I want to plug my NFL five-star play of the month going this week. It's a beauty I've got on tap. Last month, we used another live dog bet, one in big fashion. When the Baltimore Ravens rolled for our game of the month, you can pick it up a $99 football weekend of winners or log on at playbooksports.com and get the game on a pay after you in basis, my NFL five-star game of the month. My complimentary play on Saturday's college football card, I'm going to go to one of my favorite pet teams, and that's the Wyoming Cowboys once again. I love the coach. I like the team. I like the role. Wyoming plus the points against Boise State. The Cowboys are sitting one game back of Air Force in the Mountain West Conference right now. They're five and two overall, two and one in the conference. They come into this football game five and one of the spread as a conference road dog against opponents that are coming off a loss. On the flip side, you look at Boise State. They're only three and four on the season, two and one tied with Wyoming. But the Broncos are just one and seven to the spread in the series, and worse, zero oh and six to the spread. The last six games, they've been a favorite in a football game. Grab up the points with the Cowboys for my top complimentary play. I have no problem backing a 700 dog against a losing team. That's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I'm going to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, and the legend himself, Jim Feist, joining us from Las Vegas for all their help and contributions on the show this week. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.